Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. and welcome to our final episode of this mini-series of the Dead Parent Club podcast. And the reason it's our final episode is because Kat is going to give birth imminently. So fingers crossed we get this episode out before that happens. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Um, Super excited today to be chatting with one of the dedicated founders of What's Your Grief? Um, which I imagine a lot of our listeners will also li- will also follow on Instagram because it's an incredible platform. Um, Litz is going to be joining us t- today to share her story, um, the creation of What's Your Grief, the positive and pitfalls of running a grief community, which we know all too well, her experience as a mental health professional and debunking grief, m- grief myths, which I imagine is going to be super insightful. So welcome, Litzer, and we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here before the baby comes. I'm very excited to be here for the last uh, final episode. And um, I don't know if they'll be insightful, but I, you've set me up for uh, hopefully a very good episode. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's going to be a good one. Let's, uh, can we go right back to the beginning, please? Can you just share with our listeners your story, your story that leads you here? Yeah, of course. So... Um, my story, I think, really starts when I was a teenager. And my, I was uh, just turned 17 when my dad got diagnosed with a bone marrow disorder. And, you know, a lot of times when people talk about losing a parent, I think we talk about anticipated versus unanticipated losses. And I always say with my dad, it was like a little bit of both. He got diagnosed and we knew theoretically that if he didn't get a bone marrow transplant, that it could be terminal, that he could die. Um, but we were really hopeful. We thought he would get a bone marrow transplant. He was listed, he was, you know, listed for a transplant. Everyone we knew was getting tested. He was still really healthy. There was never a period where he got, you know, sick with the disease or anything like that. And then when I was 18, uh, he got an infection and just like felt like overnight his body just couldn't fight up the infection. And he was just went into the hospital um, immediately they put him into an induced coma. So from the day he went into the hospital, he was at home, seemed fine, uh, you know, went in for an infection, but they had to put him on a respirator. So they put him in an induced coma for that. And then he never woke up again. And so it was sort of like that combination where it was like, well, we knew he was sick, but we definitely didn't really think he was going to die. And then all of a sudden he was gone. So that was, when I was 18 and, you know, weird stage in life. I was my first year at university. Um, my sister was only 12 at the time. And, uh, so she was kind of back at home. I was a few hours away at university with, uh, she was back with my mom 
and then I think, you know, that's where I guess my, my grief story, like took this whole other layered turn because I was away from home, um, which was its own kind of experience, you know, and my mom, my mom, sister were having their own sort of grief experience at home, but my sister ended up really falling pretty quickly into a really, really severe drug addiction. And so, you know, that really, in a lot of ways, wrapped in with all my other grief from my dad's death was my sister within a few years had a really severe heroin addiction. And that went on for more than a decade. Um, that was, you know, really, really devastating, I think, for our family in lots of ways. But her partner who was, who she was with, with many, for many years, who was just like this incredible human, who was like an, a member of our family, um, when I was 26, he ended up dying of an overdose. And so, you know, it just spiraled us back into this whole grief cycle all over again. Um, still with the stuff going on. Luckily today, my sister is in recovery and she's been in recovery for nearly 10 years now and is, you know, doing incredibly well. But that just like really gave me this whirlwind grief personal experience that from all directions, it was the grief of people dying, but also the grief of loving somebody who has an addiction, which is like its own, you feel like you've lost the person. They're not the person who they used to be. And so I felt like I was sort of grieving my sister, even though she was still alive. Um, so it was kind of all a whirlwind and, you know, at the time it's weird. People are like, Oh, of course you ended up in grief and running. What's your grief and what, but while I was going through it, I had no thoughts that that was what I was going to do. I actually really didn't like support groups or counseling. Like it was not how I, I coped at all. Um, I was doing a lot of other things. I was working in homeless services and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And I ultimately knew I wanted to be in mental health. And so I went back to school later, you know, kind of in my late twenties and got my master's. And that's when I sort of was like, well, maybe, maybe the grief is something, you know, I've been working in homeless services. Maybe that is something that I'm feeling more pulled to. And, um, that was kind of what, what brought me to meet Eleanor. I was working in a really traditional setting it for a nonprofit organization, a charity doing um, grief and bereavement support for people who had experienced traumatic and unexpected deaths. And uh, Eleanor and I met there and her mom died when she was 24. She was pregnant with her first um, baby when her mom died. And we really connected, not just that we were now both in grief support and members of the Dead Parent Club, but also because we had not used traditional grief support ourselves. Like we hadn't really liked counseling and support groups. And yet there we were trying to support people that way. And we sort of founded what's your grief for people. We used to say grief support for the rest of us, like for people who were maybe looking for something that was a little bit different than that. Cause that was really a big part of how we connected was that we had used photography and all sorts of like other learning and like really getting into kind of the, reading and things like that. And, and we connected a lot over that. And that's kind of what eventually became What's Your Grief quite a while later. I think we'll, we'll definitely go into more detail on that What's Your Grief and that, that platform and, you know, that kind of offering and stuff that you, that you give later on. I'm just, I'm kind of keen to touch back on obviously your experiences of different types of sort of causes of death, really. And you've kind of obviously had firsthand experience then of how 
somebody dying from a drug addiction is probably perceived and reacted to much differently than somebody who has died a sudden death, despite obviously the, the diagnosis that he had. Because I think a lot of our listeners, you know, we have a broad range of people of listeners whose parents have died in a multitude of, of different of different ways. And I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that sometimes society can look at things differently and treat treat things differently. Oh yeah, I mean I think the stigma around addiction is it's still so deep, no matter how common addiction is. I mean, mm-hmm. so many of us know and love people who have had some sort of addiction over the course of their lives. And yet still, I think when we hear about other people's addictions, I think as soon as you tell someone that someone you love died of an overdose or had an addiction, like they get this picture in their mind that mm-hmm. is of maybe kind of just a one-dimensional person. Like they see them as their addiction. They don't see them as this full human. And I think there can be a lot of blame and a lot of feelings of, oh, they must have been selfish or they must have been awful how did you know and or why do people get into you know substances in the first place there's all these judgments that we have about that and so I think sometimes it makes it hard at the time I, I one of the things I felt very aware of was for the people who knew John and who knew my sister you know they knew that they were complex amazing dynamic wonderful people who were more than just this heroin addiction But for other people, I felt like the moment that I said anything about the addiction, it was like they couldn't see them as anything Mm -hmm. other than just, you know, we don't use this term anymore if we can avoid it in mental health, but as an addict, right? Mm -hmm. It's like literally there's a whole word for it that just boils you down to this one aspect of yourself. Um, And so I think that made it really hard to talk about the cause, you know, the cause of death and my sister's addiction at the time. Um, Lisa, can you just elaborate on that, please, for our listeners? When you say it made it hard to talk and people kind of reacted by seeing them as these one-dimensional people, um, what were the reactions of people? What did they say to you when you told them how he died? Yeah, I think that a lot of times, actually, one of the things that was really sad was that people assumed that... um, that it was going to be good for my sister. Like they thought like, oh, this is going to, this is going to kind of be her wake up call. Um, you know, now she's going to get sober. And I was like, the, the person who she loves most in the world has just died. Why would you think that's the thing that's going to... And it's the second time it's happened to her as well. Like Right, it's the second yeah. time that it's happened yeah. to, to her in this matter of years. Like, why would that be your assumption? And I think, like, to me, it was like, right, because all they see him as, as some, like, bad influence who she was doing drugs with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, I think, not seeing it as, and being able to see him as more than that. Um, and I think when people, you know, this is true in, in general, I think sometimes after someone dies, people struggle with like what answer they want to ask more questions about the death than the person's life. But I feel like it's like even more true with addiction. Like people can't imagine that someone who has an addiction also has this full and complex life otherwise especially a heroin addiction sometimes i think maybe if people thinking about something like you know alcohol 
maybe they people will see more nuance but a lot of times i think people would find out wow like using heroin they mm -hmm. you know just sort of have this idea of like a junkie on the street somewhere or something rather than a real human and so i felt like they just wouldn't ask questions the same kind of questions that they might ask about my dad or be interested in getting to know who he was just on that, sorry, Litsa, there's a great yeah, sadness yeah. in that because, you know, you said they see them as like a junkie on the street rather than a real person. The junkie on the street is the real person with most of the time a, a, a bigger story to tell than most of us mm -hmm. because, um, you know, if you want to find out where trauma is, you go and speak to somebody on the street who is homeless or a drug addict. That They have stories like that pain that there's a reason that they're where they are. And uh, I think there's a real societal issue with that. I think we're so ignorant. We would rather turn a blind eye to people who we almost feel know that's beyond the realms of our comprehension to understand what led them to this point. The fact is, as well, is that so many of us, and I think people that listen as well, have probably experienced or not consciously experienced some form of addiction after loss. Because it can take so many forms, like sex addiction, addiction to health and fitness, addiction food. to food, shopping, shopping, yeah, yeah. booze, like Work. it's actually something that so many of us have experienced. It just takes different forms. And I think, you know, it's so heartbreaking for you, your family and for your, your sister that she kind of, it went that way for her at such a, at such a young age. But when... I think we know that grief is such a huge, momentous thing to go through. It's also unsurprising. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, and her, her partner, I think one of the things they really connected over when they met was that his mom had died when mm -hmm. he was really young as well, about the same age that my sister was. And I think there was a lot of connection in that loss at such a young age. But I think, Emma, you know, the thing that you said that I think is so true about why we we do that is I think we want to keep that distance because we don't want to imagine that that person on the street could be us and mm -hmm. could be somebody who we love or we care about. You know, we want to, I think, walk by and think, oh, that's something unrecognizable. That's something that looks completely different than anyone I would know or any anyone in my sphere. And it's really terrifying, I think, sometimes when we start to hear those layered stories and realize, oh, no, wait, they are very much like us and they're not some different species from some other planet. They're an incredibly complex, amazing human. I think it's really unsettling for people sometimes. Uh, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Lutzer. And I think what we don't know about or what we don't understand scares us. So exactly what you said, we then don't want to know. We want to keep our distance. Um, tell us more about what's your grief. Tell us what you explore and what you do, please, Lutzer. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously I'm a... a mental health professional, you know, my, my background, I became kind of a grief therapist, even though, though it wasn't what I intended to be. Um, but what's your grief is really, people always ask, is it support groups? Do you do things like that? And it's really not. The space that we've created was really intended to help people first and foremost to just learn about loss and learn about grief. And that's really where we started. We started writing articles and uh, putting things out there for people who maybe didn't necessarily want to go to a counselor or a support group, but wanted that information to just understand and make sense of what they were going through 
get some actual psychological evidence-informed information about grief. So that's where we started. Um, but then it has taken all sorts of different directions. So we do a lot with creative expression and we have a ton of different creative expression projects. We do something called photo grief, which is using photography for grief. Grief in six words, which is six word stories about loss. We do things with people who are using food to connect and, and cooking. Um, and so we have a lot in the creative space. We do online courses that pull that, like journaling for people who are looking to figure out how to write, how to express, but they just don't know where to start exactly. You know, we kind of have things for, to, for people to dip their toe in. I always say like for people who are just like, I'm not really sure what, I don't know how to cope. Like, I'm not sure what's going to help me and what's not going to help me. We try to have different ways for people to try a little bit of, of everything. Um, and then we have community, we have an online community with, that does a little bit more like, you know, webinar style things, but where people can come in and do live sessions of learning, but then actually talking to other people and doing things that are a little more focused on learning and putting into practice things in their grief that might help them to process guilt or regret or anger or, you know, whatever sort of emotional things they might be dealing with or changing patterns of isolation, like learning how to get back out and start dating again or to start feeling comfortable um, if you've been cocooned up at home isolating in your grief, which is really normal and like feels really good for the beginning, how to start pushing yourself to get back out again. So really kind of practical things on how to be active in your grief as, as it takes whatever shape it takes for you. I absolutely love that. And I think like, even like I am so guilty of being like, talk, 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 like that's the best thing to do to like, you know, process your grief and to, you know, but like, it's easy for me to say that because I'm a talker <laughs> and I have, I've got people around me that I can talk to. So I think having what you've created, which is so practical is amazing. Like what do people, like, have you had like conversations with people about why they find that so much easier to do, to have that approach, to have something physical to kind of invest their time in, in com like in comparison to, to talking about their, their grief? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm a big believer in the research, you know, Kenda Doka and Ker Terry Martin now, like 20 years ago, did this research on grief styles, and they found that some people are intuitive grievers, and that's more the emotional, they like to talk, they like mm -hmm. to process it with other people, when they think about their grief, emotion words are what come to mind, they really feel their grief, and then half of people and it's again it's a spectrum but then a lot of people are instrumental grievers and instrumental grievers are more doers they're more cognitive in how they talk about grief they don't talk about feelings as much so much as they talk about thoughts like I I wake up and I think I can't believe I'm never going to see her again rather than I feel so hopeless or I feel so filled with with despair right it's more about thoughts and they tend to feel grief more physically they tend to be more doers and like to be more active, like to sometimes learn and think about their grief in different ways. And so I think one of the things that we've really found in talking to a lot of people about what's your grief and why it has worked and resonated is that oftentimes those people on the little bit more instrumental end, I think, felt like all the grief support that was out there was for intuitive people. It was all for the people who want to talk about their emotions and process and connect with other people. 
And I think a lot of people were relieved to go, oh, okay, here's a space where people are normalizing that this isn't avoidance. This isn't me trying to run from my grief. This is actually my way of processing my grief is through doing some of these active things or through learning some of this information and allowing that to think, to think about that in cognitive ways. So I think we really tapped into that in a way where people hadn't really known where to go for grief support if they didn't want to go to a support group or a, a therapist. And Litzer, have you seen connections be made uh, between fellow grievers via What's Your Grief? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's something that I really love, even just on our social media platforms. There are so many, you know, on Instagram and things like that, people who will talk about how now they've become connected and are doing things together and or are at least friends on Instagram or doing other little projects that are connecting about their grief and that they just met in like the comment section on our Instagram posts or we do active things on our Instagram like we do um, photo grief photo challenges where we put out photo prompts a photo prompt every day and then people can share grief-related photos that they take. Um, and so we've had a number of people who just connected because they were on the hashtag doing the photo challenge together, and then they really connected over that. And I, I love that for people who don't necessarily have that in their lives elsewhere and are looking for other kind of active grievers in that way. I love that they've been able to connect in those ways. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. How do you find it, um, and obviously also your co-founder as well, with facilitating that space? Because like grief, at the end of the day, it, it is a heavy subject, and I think you carry other people's experiences of loss with you, even if you're just you're just reading it. Um, it's a lot to carry. So, like, how how is that for you, dedicating so much of your life to that? <gasps> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that now it is similar with the two of you, yeah, having other people on and hearing their stories. And I, I think there's, like with everything, there's sort of two sides to it. Like, it can be really heavy. Um, but also, I think you appreciate um, just, the, just the range of human experience and, like, how incredible people are and the things that people are doing. I mean, I think that there's this piece of it that I I feel really grateful to be able to 
have a space where people feel comfortable to to share some of those things. Um, I think for me, I've really, and this was probably true even before What's Your Grief, but I think one of the ways that I feel like I'm a, a, a better person than I was before my dad died is I, I think I really value you know, that life is short. I think anybody who's lost someone in some way, like has that feeling of you just never know. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know any. And I think that having a platform just reinforces that times a thousand. You're like, you feel it from your own experience, but then you feel it from everyone's experience. And you just think, God, all we can do is be here for each other and put the things in the world that we think are important to us and connect with other people and just like do the best we can to appreciate what we've got. And so I think that's really what grounds me a lot in the work is staying connected to that. What's the future for what's your grief and for you? You know, I mean, I think we, uh, we've been doing, you know, we founded What's Your Grief in 2012, and um, I've joked that this year in 2023 was our year of vowing to do nothing new. You know, we used to always go, oh, we want to do this, and we want to add this, and we're going to, you know, new th- all these new different things. And, you know, this year, I think we've really said, like, we love what we do right now and we've just got been going back and revisiting different areas of our platform and our communities and kind of making things better or fixing things up that we created years ago and I'm in this place right now where I just um I don't I don't think like new is always better or bigger is always better I just feel like we're in this nice space where I'm like when people find us if this is the right place for them I like I hope they'll hang out with us for a while as long as they need us and if it's not the right place for them like that is fine too because there's so many other amazing places doing other sorts of grief support and so I'm happy to connect people to some of the other resources that are out there and see the other stuff that's growing in the grief space like it's exciting to see how much it's grown in the 10 years since I've been doing this work. It's a bit of a kind of an off-piece on this, but just something that I'm thinking about. Do you, and I think obviously because you've, from your own experience and from your experience as like a mental health, like grief specialist and, and the platform and stuff that you run, do you ever kind of see examples of people that have become identified by their grief experience? So they kind of absorb this experience in a way that, in the way that they become a bit, inauthentic and who they are as a person but because they're living through this persona of themselves that they've ended up kind of getting ingrained in do you know what I'm trying to say oh I know exactly what you're trying to say and I think I think about this a lot and we've heard this from a lot of people we've had people reach out over time and saying things like I created this Instagram platform you know six months after my mom died and now it's four years later and I don't know what to do with it. I feel like I have this obligation to these followers that I connected with and I created this thing, but now I feel like I'm sort of stuck in this place where all I can talk about here is grief and I, my life feels like it's starting to grow again and I don't want to be confined by this and now I feel defined by it. And um, I, it has made me grateful in many ways that we started what's your grief? It had been a long time since my dad died that we, you know, it had been 10 years, um, since 
my dad died when I started What's Your Grief. So I had that sort of distance and didn't, I felt like I could share my story in a different way. Um, but I think that it is really hard when, for people, when it becomes this defining way that you brought people together. And like, that's incredible that you can bring people together around loss in your own story. But then what does it mean when you start to feel like you're not defined by your loss anymore in your real life? But now sometimes we have these other spaces that we've created sort of almost like I'm, I don't, I don't know, like I'm a grief influencer. I don't know what it is. It's like, I'm in this space of like, well, wait, if I start to change, what, what is that going to mean for this sense of community? And I think that's hard. I think it's a process that people really have to all kind of wade through individually and figure out how to navigate. Um, if you're not going to, you know, do it literally as a profession. I mean, I, one of the things like, it's like, I kind of ended up going all in where I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a grief therapist. That's kind of <laughs> what I do. Like I don't get to escape it. Um, but I also sort of felt like I had identified myself in so many other ways since my dad's death. Like I didn't, I didn't feel defined anymore by it because I'd lived a lot of other pieces of my life since then. Do but, you now feel, um, because of your experience and because of the work you do, do you feel less afraid of grieving again? Oh, so that, that, that's a good, that's such a good question. So I, um, short answer, no. <laughs> um, I, I think I would have, maybe I would have said yes. Um, but, you know, the start of COVID, um, February 2020, so literally like right when COVID started, one of my dear friends who was a grief therapist who I'd known for a really long time, he um, died completely unexpectedly in an accident at a ski mm. while he's skiing. Um, and then in the two months that followed, another good friend of mine died and my uncle, my mom's brother, died. Um, and it was like this, yeah, it was like this kind of surreal time because it was February, March and April of 2020. So it was going right into lockdown and, you know, we couldn't have a funeral for my uncle, the whole thing, all the COVID stuff. Um, and I was, you know, I was just kind of knocked over by it all again and reminded that like, it doesn't matter how much you know about these things intellectually or how much time you've spent supporting people or processing your own past losses or connecting around it. Like it's still just this like primal devastating fundamental attachment devastate. Like you, we've just, it's just this human thing that I think no matter what you know and how much you've thought about it, happening again you just can't be prepared for it and I was devastated all over again and in new and different ways and they were such different types of losses and interestingly I didn't talk about them very much on what's your grief at all I was really mindful that I didn't want I didn't want to start to feel like these new losses were things that I had to like bring into my public what's your grief self I so I, ta I talked about them a little bit I mean people knew it wasn't that I was hiding them or anything but I just my grief with them I sort of felt like I needed to protect it a little bit from uh, yeah from from what, what I do with what's your grief but it yeah it reminded me that yeah you can never 
you can never really be prepared. I really, I think what you said there about it just being a primal instinct was, it's such an important thing to remember because I think all of us and every listener here is probably going to experience grief again at another point in their lives. And it's something that quite a lot of us are quite nervous about, I think. Or even if you think that you've kind of done the work and you're in a space where you could handle it, it, there's always a chance that it can knock you straight off your feet. So I think kind of what you've spoken about here and finding those alternative tools if talking isn't for you is incredibly important and something that people can take away. And like I encourage everybody listening to go and check out the website and look at those different different ways of, of processing your grief because I think it's I think it's incredible and what you've done is amazing. Like kind of taking that conversation away from conversation and, you know, putting that emphasis more on, on the do, which I think is is brilliant. Um I know that whilst we're here, you guys have got a book coming out soon as well. Um, so yeah, we'd yes. love to use the opportunity for you to tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So it's actually already, it's already out, the book. It's also called What's Your Grief? Um, and it's rooted in a lot of the same ideas of the website. Like it was sort of, we were like, we don't want to write a book just to write a book. Like there's plenty of great grief books out there. Why would we add to, to that? Um but the one gap that we sort of saw in the grief book library that exists um, was, well, it was, I'll say it was two gaps. One was so many people who would come to our site and who would find us, they would say, I bought so many grief books or people gave me all these grief books after my parent died or my husband died or, you know, whoever. And I could not get through them. Like I just, my focus, I was, I didn't have the attention span. My memory was so bad. I just, I, I love to read usually, but I couldn't read. And then I found your website and it was like thousand word articles that were, I, it was just enough that I could learn something meaningful without feeling like it was too much. And that was something we were really interested in was like, how do we write a grief book that actually tries to take into account the fact that many people don't have that focus and attention. They're looking for something bite-sized. They don't feel able to read it from cover to cover. And so that's very much we created, a book that you could pick up, not read it from cover to cover, just find what was relevant for you, jump around. It's like, oh wait, you read these three pages and they resonated with you? Now we'll direct you to three other things in this book that will be useful. And you can just hop over there, read those, and then shut the book and put it away. So we really tried to capture a little bit of what had worked for people in the website in a book format. And then it is very much a little bit, I would say, you know, I'm a pretty analytical person. I'm a little bit more on that instrumental griever end of the spectrum. Um, Eleanor, if she was here, she's more, she, we balance each other well. She's a little bit more of the intuitive. But I think we did kind of tap in a little bit more to that idea of that instrumental grief, helping people to really kind of understand what they might be going through and then a little bit of some of the active stuff that you could do. And so we thought that was the other, those were the two big gaps. Um, and the last is that it, co- it covers non-death loss as well. You know, we felt like so much was about bereavement loss. And I had experienced so much with my sister's addiction. Um, Eleanor's brother actually had a, it was in an accident and had a really severe traumatic brain injury. Um, and, you know, it had, five kids and his wife and it, you know, it, it really upended their whole family and changed. He's luckily he's okay now, but he's 
a different person than the person that he was before mm -hmm. that. And they've in many ways had to grieve who he was before the accident while loving this person that he is now and being grateful that he's he he's here and he survived and we felt like there just weren't grief books to acknowledge that these non-death losses are real we can have people in our lives who are still alive that we're that we're grieving and so we really wanted to be able to speak to the full range of grieving both death and non-death loss um with that in mind, Lisa, where can our listeners find your book and find uh, What's Your Grief? Yes. Yeah, so What's Your Grief is uh, whatsyourgrief.com. Very easy. And we're at What's Your Grief on all the social platforms. Um, and the book is available on um, Amazon and bookshop.org uh, in both the US and the UK. I guess in the UK, it's bookshop .co.uk. Um, and we encourage people to, I mean, if Amazon's easy for you, go for it. But bookshop.org, you can pick your local independent bookstore and they get the, they get the profits from the book. It's a charity model of an online bookseller. So um, we always encourage people if you're uh, deciding to consider bookshop.org so your local independent bookseller can get, get the benefits. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I've yeah, I've loved this conversation. It's been so lovely meeting you and getting to know your story and everything that, that you guys are doing as well. Um, and anybody that's listening to this, I hope you guys can check out What's Your Grief. And obviously you can contact us at hello at deadparentclub.co.uk or on Instagram at deadparentclubpodcast too. Yeah, thank you so much, Litsa. What a way to go out for uh, season four. Um, like Kat says, you can still get in contact with us. Kat might be a little bit busy, but I'll try <laughs> my best to get back to you. But yeah, thank you so, so much, Litsa. And Kat, thank you as always. Best of luck on uh, pushing that baby out. Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> pushing it out, getting it out the sunroof. We're going to get it out one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.